Hell yeah, what is going on, everybody? It's Game That Tune Gems, and we are back in the house once again. It's your boy, John Harrington, here. We got John Regan with us. Say hey. Hey. And we've got David Fleming. Say hey. Hey. Yep, still no Jesse this month, but it's going to be all right, fellas, because we've got a hell of a lineup of games to talk about. And uh, man, oh man, what a show we've got coming for you. It's Game That Tune Gems for the month of July 2022. Man, these uh, these dog days of summer. Uh, we're talking about video game music from video game releases 30, 20, and 10 years ago. So we've got fantastic tunes from questionable releases from Julys of 1992, 2002, and 2012. And man, we... Uh we got a hell of a selection to get through, guys. So let's hop back in time to July of 1992. And man, oh man, guys, what a uh, what a game that we're starting off with tonight. Um, an utterly baffling game that I have frankly never heard of, nor do I really know anything about. Um, but when you see certain developers and certain names come across the list, you got to pull them down. So we got a LucasArts game, fellas. We've got an oh. NES release from LucasArts and their celebrated composing team of George Sanger and David Warhol, the guys who famously slammed George Lucas's dick in the microwave for Maniac Mansion. Guys, let's take it down to Dynatron City with the defenders of Dynatron City. If you have any idea what that is, raise your hand. Oh, David's got his hand up. Cool. <laughs> David, what do you got, man? <laughs> so, if I recall correctly, um, there was like a big push. They were trying to make this like a cartoon, a video game. They did a comic miniseries, and it just didn't take. Mm -hmm. All right. That sounds great. Poss I'm glad they managed possibly, to get a video game out of it. <laughs> possibly because some of the superhero characters involve a guy whose head flies off like a rocket and a woman whose legs are a buzzsaw. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't Ooh. know. Feels like things made for a video game. You know, the woman could be a Uniracer and the guy could be Dynamite Hetty. Uh, I, I don't see the issue. Or maybe, wait, not Dynamite Hetty. What's the what's the game? The Cap Attack, where the guy throws his own head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the issue is when you try to combine these into the same game. Maybe right? you can't you can't have the Cap Attack and Uniracers in the same game. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I don't know about this, but it uh, it looks utterly baffling. I'm, I I wish uh, wish we did know more about this. Because um, it's like some, man, late 80s, early 90s fucking try-hard comic shit. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, like you said, a, a girl whose legs appear to be a pizza cutter. Uh, some kind of you know, boy who might be a monkey. Um, it's a real murderer's row of fucking uh, superheroes they got here in Dynatron I City. <laughs> I'm looking at the list here. There's one called Toolbox, and he was a, an actual toolbox that what? got mutated into a superhero. Okay. And they, they named him Toolbox. <laughs> yeah, they, so, I'm sorry, he, he's a toolbox that became sentient. Yes. And he retained the name Toolbox. 
Yes. That's that feels degrading. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like once the toolbox starts talking and fighting crime, it needs a cool new name. Mr. Toolbox, perhaps. Uh, just, no, no, please. Just... Mr. Toolbox was my father. <laughs> please call me Craftsman. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start going by Johnny Toolbox on Game That Tune going forward. I think forward. you should. You know, the five-tool player, Mr. Toolbox, John Regan. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, you know, he's got it all. Um, but yeah, man, we got some fantastic tunes from uh, Defenders of Dynatron City. And once again, the, the LucasArts composing team of George Sanger and David Warhol. We've got The Sewers and Proto-Cola. And we've got Chapter 5, The Final Battle with Dr. Mayhem. That is a name of a villain I can get behind. So let's hear some fantastic Defenders of Dynatron tunes. I'm sorry, did I say fantastic to lead into those tunes? Uh, you know, I forgot it's the Maniac Mansion guys. Guys, I'm so sorry that we let off our fucking music show with music from these men. Jesus, God, that's, uh, I don't know what it is about the way that those guys make their tunes, but it's just not for me, baby. Ugh. It's very, very beat boopy. It's very angular. It's it's unpleasant to you know to have playing in my ears. Like maybe it sounded better coming out of a TV or something. Maybe it's just not meant for headphones. But it feels like my head was going to fucking explode. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to something that surely sounds better: the Game Boy. Let's uh, let's play some fantastic Game Boy tunes from some fantastic uh, fantastic first party releases from Nintendo. Uh, guys, 
Who's ready for the original in a uh, beloved series? The first game to come out in a series that I bet we all thought started on the Nintendo 64. Guys, it's Wave Race for the Game Boy. It's uh, it's new and it's uh, out in July of fucking 1992. Did you know this existed? I did. Oh, really? Did, <laughs> did you know that you could play up to four players with this? What? <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo sold a special box that you would have to plug your link cable into uh, so you could have four Game Boys all plugged into a central box, kind of like an Ethernet hub or a USB hub or whatever. And uh, you could all play four-player Wave Race on it. That's crazy. Four players on Game Boy, I can understand. Four players on Game Boy playing Wave Race? I don't know how that works. Right. Like, no, you know, nor do I see the necessity of doing that. Like, you know, man, it really seems like they were looking ahead to the Nintendo 64 with this. Like, <laughs> we got this fantastic jet ski racing game and we want to play it with four players. Like, yeah, guys, it's the Game Boy. Nobody's going to do that. <laughs> you know. Do you think we should wait until we have like 3D hardware? Nah. Nah. You know, don't even wait until we have Game Boy Color. Just fucking, you know, throw it all out there, baby. <laughs> Put it on a two and a half inch screen. It's fine. Yeah. I bet we could fit four jet skis on this fucking screen. Um, man, what a, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I was surprised to learn that Wave Race had an original game on the, uh, on the Game Boy. It, uh, really feels like a game of 1996 when the Nintendo 64 launched. Not so much, uh, not so much back in these days. And I'm looking at it now. Actually, it's kind of funny. It was released in uh, 1992 in America. Uh, it didn't come out in Europe until 1997. I guess after the popularity of Wave Race 64, they were like, oh, yeah, we can throw that Game Boy game out now. Um, so They decided to uh, ride that wave. <laughs> <laughs> no soundboards on Game That Tune Jones, but Johnny earned himself a fucking you know, a Mario 2 sound for that. Um, so we got two fantastic songs coming from Wave Race for the Game Boy from composer Taisuke Araki. We've got background musics two and six. So let's hop in the green and green and green waters and race on those beautiful waves.
Okay, so that sounded uh, better than the uh, Defenders of Dynatron City, but still pretty, pretty goddamn, you know, angular and, you know, in your face for Game Boy music, which ostensibly is meant to be played directly into your ears. So, you know, shame on I'd, you. <laughs> I'd like to retract my previous statement. That is beeps and boops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Dynatron City, more like, you know, grinding of computer chips. Wave race, beeps and boops. So uh, maybe we'll find uh, something really great if we stay on the Game Boy and we go with a different developer. Guys, let's go over to a fantastic Natsume joint starring an adorable little monkey that blows bubbles. David, do you know the monkey of which I speak? I'm not sure that I do. You know, you never went on Spanky's Quest? I do that oh, every I mean, morning. I <laughs> definitely did that, but yeah, not did on that, Game Boy. Right before we started recording. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Spanky's Quest, or as it was called in Japan, Monkey Reflections, The Adventures of Mr. Jiro. Uh, why did they change oh, that title? Why would you ever, ever ever change that title <laughs> like <laughs> spanky's quest sounds like a little rascals game monkey reflections colon the adventures of mr jiro <laughs> like god that's a game that sells like hotcakes baby god i would watch that movie and like put on my best movies of all time list and try to convince people to watch it with me and then it's all weird and they don't like it right. like that's exactly that's what, what that yeah. sounds like because i mean th I'm with the title like monkey reflections it's got to be like heady, and it's like a monkey going to a fucking psychiatrist or something. <laughs> like, it's well, that's that's what I was wondering. It's like you mentioned that it's a monkey with balloons. So, like, is the reflection him bouncing balloons, or is the reflection him just getting super introspective about what he's doing and who he is? No idea, honestly. Uh, Spanky blows a bubble, and if you bounce the bubble on its head, it gets bigger, and. Uh, then if you pop the bubble, a different ball will pop out, and the balls can be used to destroy the enemies. Nothing about this game says reflections at all. <laughs> or really monkey. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a monkey. Because, you know, since when do monkeys blow magic bubbles that explode into sports balls? Um, John, when is the last time you went to the zoo? It's been a while, man. <laughs> Uh, I'm laughing at this statement from the Wikipedia. Uh, Game Boy title is known in Japan as Lucky Monkey. It's somewhat similar to the SNES version, but differs quite a bit. Indeed. Uh, wow. So is it the same or not? Right. What a nonsense. Man, uh, you know, but so wait, is it Lucky Monkey or is it Monkey Reflections? I, uh, you know, I'm getting fucking, you know, different, uh, different stories from the same Wikipedia page here. I'm going... Well, I mean, I guess a lucky monkey would be a monkey that blows bubbles and has them explode into sports balls. I think that's probably the more apt title. Regardless, the name Spanky's Quest sucks. Uh, it should be Adventures of Mr. Jiro, or it should be Lucky Monkey. Um, but regardless, let's, uh, let's hear some fantastic tunes. Uh, we got two fantastic songs from Spanky's Quest from composer Hiroyuki Iwatsuki. We've got background musics one and seven.
quite redeem the whole first part of this show, man. Finding some Game Boy tunes that actually slap. That's, uh, whew, good. That means, uh, means we know what we're doing here, guys. So that means I feel confident that we can take this next game on another handheld system, and uh, I bet you we've chosen some great tunes from the Game Gear. Johnny, are you ready for the revenge of Death Adder? Golden Axe, colon, the revenge of Death Adder on the Game Gear. <laughs> oh, neat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool, he got his revenge on the Game Gear, huh? Wow, good for him. Good for Death Adder. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know anything about this game. It's okay, you're not meant to. That's, that's <laughs> like the whole point of Game That Tune Gems, is we forgot that all these games existed. Um... Yeah, it's um, it's a Golden Axe sequel, and uh, and Death Adder gets his revenge. I don't know what to say about it besides that. <laughs> um, now, is it? It was on Game Gear, so is it a side-scrolling beat 'em up, or is it like some weird ass game? Um, you know, I think it's a side-scrolling beat 'em up, and actually, I I've fucking I have like gotten my own notes all shifted up. This is not actually. Uh, for Game Gear, this is an arcade release. This only came out on the arc in the arcades. Jeez, hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, fellas. I got I got us all twist around. I, I got your Game Gear hopes up. It's okay. You can put away your batteries. Take out your quarters. We're going to the arcade for New Golden Axe. What you know? What a mistake that was. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's a it's a four player Golden Axe game. It's got new characters, and you can play with four players instead of two. And it's an arcade beat 'em up with four players. It's uh, it's good shit, and you know there's no uh, no joking about it. It's uh, you know, man, what a what a mistake I made thinking this was on Game Gear. Um, that you got new playable characters: Go the Giant, Stern Blade the Barbarian, uh, Dora the something or other, and an elf named Little Tricks. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, that is a fucking... breakfast cereal mascot. Yeah, so you, you kind of just try to really, <laughs> really gloss over the fact that Dora is a centaur <laughs> holding a um oh my god, what was that show in the eighties of people competing in the oh my god uh, American Gladiators? American Gladiators. She's holding an American Gladiator style like uh stick with the pads on the ends kind oh, of thing shit. like a joust thing <laughs> yeah jousting centaur <laughs> yeah you know that's uh, that's on me for fucking you know sticking with wikipedia somebody linked you know dora the uh whatever oh the, it's the female word for it's a word for a female centaur i didn't know there was a fucking another word for a female centaur what a mistake i've made god this is just not my segment so yeah <laughs> um man Female centaurs. There's a a playable female centaur with an American gladiator's bar weapon. This is totally my segment. Yeah. (laughs) I'm invested in this. David, maybe you know this. Where is the vagina on a female centaur? You know, um, it would be in the same place that it would be for a horse, so like towards the back end. Gotcha. Not towards the front end, like maybe the lady extends into the horse and she's got like a front vagina and a back. It depends on what artist is doing it because i have seen like front vaginas on centaurs but predominantly it's towards the back i mean that makes sense it's the it's the lower half you know it's the horse part on the bottom and the lady part on the top so that that does make sense we also can't pass over the fact that goa is like a a giant with a dwarf on his back oh dope 
<laughs> like, so it's actually two characters for one. Okay, you're sure that's not little tricks riding on him? <laughs> uh, no, that's not little tricks. His little tricks carries a uh, trident, and uh, go uh, the guy on Goa's back seems to not have weapons. So I'm not sure what he's doing. Oh, it, it, that's he's fucking, hitching a ride. That's Gilius Thunderhead riding on his back, man. <laughs> oh, that. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't. Let me zoom in. You're right. That is Gilius. It's Gilius, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Aww. So I'm reading about it, and apparently if Dora gets upon, like, one of those weird, rideable chicken lizard monster things, <laughs> she magically gets human legs to, like, ride on other characters. Oh. I really wanted to see the horse riding on top of something. Yeah, no, it seems like they should have programmed that out. Like, it's like, no, she just can't ride. She can be ridden by other characters, perhaps. Like, there's a there's a built-in, like, there's one rideable character in this game. But then also, I guess you could ride the giant. Maybe that it was just confusing. But the team up attacks would have been too fucking sick if you could have put put little tricks on the back of the horse woman. Uh, but programming her horse parts off just so she can ride things doesn't make any sense. But then again, it seems like this game and this segment don't make any sense. So we got two fantastic songs. From the arcade release Golden Axe, The Revenge of Death Adder, from composers Masanori Takeuchi and Tomoyuki Kawamura, we've got Hope for tomorrow and theme of the boss that seems like a way too formal theme, uh, formal way to say boss theme so let's uh let's hear some golden axe tunes <laughs> Thank you. 
finding a new uh, theme song to go on the fart playlist on Game That Tune Radio. That is one of the fartiest boss themes that I've heard in quite some time. You know, real bassy, thunderous, farty music. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound crass here. I really enjoy it. <laughs> Would that be Gilius Thunderous? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking had to push out a big old Gilius. Um, so, man, guys... Uh, Let's move out of the arcades and go back to our uh, home consoles for a minute because a fantastic arcade game was getting a big release on home consoles this month. One of the uh, defining, I would say, games of uh, the uh, history of video games, getting a fantastic SNES release. Guys, it's time to play Street Fighter II, The World Warrior on SNES. I know we've played it before on the show, but that was for the arcade release. Guys, Street Fighter II is in people's houses now. Yeah, that's a big oh deal. You know, fuck going to the arcade. We can go fight downstairs. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's a big deal, guys. <laughs> um, did you guys, uh, did you guys mix it up much uh, in some home Street Fighter, Johnny? Uh, you a uh, Sega boy? Did you have one of the Street Fighters for that? Yeah, I had Special Champion Edition on sure, the Genesis, right? But you know, the point is, you had it. Did yeah? I'm trying to think. Like, really, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Was there anybody on the planet that didn't own some version of Street Fighter Two for those systems? Like, it seems like it should. It, it wasn't packed in at any point, but like everyone had it. Yeah, like if any, if if there was anybody who didn't own this game on their you know respective console, I don't want to know them. I don't yeah. talk to them. Quite frankly, like. What are you doing? Uh, everybody had this. What are you doing owning that system if you're not playing at least one fighting game on it? Mortal Kombat's not out yet. You were playing Street Fighter. You know. Yeah, for the younger people that are listening, this was like Smash for us old people back in the day. This was the game everyone had to own. All right. Smash, you mean Smash Brothers? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't heard it shortened into Smash in such a long time. <laughs> Yes, Street Fighter, truly the Super Smash Brothers of its day. So much so that now two of the characters from Street Fighter are in Super Smash Brothers. Um, <laughs> Three, if you count assist trophies. You're right, shit. I forgot about that guy. Um, and uh, really, the thing that I uh, I think is fucking the best th- thing about Street Fighter 2 for the SNES is the box art. Um, I feel like this might be the most iconic, crazy-ass box art. It's the one with... Uh, so Blanca's Blanca, just like rolling through a brick wall. Yeah, Blanca busting up an alleyway. You get three characters on the cover of Street Fighter 2 for the SNES. You have Ryu knocked the fuck out. You have Chun-Li freaking out because Blanca is coming at her. And Blanca in full-on crazy cannonball mode. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a game everybody needs to own. And like... It makes Blanca seem like he's way more important to the game than he ultimately is for the series. Like, I kind of kind of love it. Like, you know, who's the hero of the series? Is it Ryu, the guy that's knocked out by the green, orange-haired monster? Huh. Good for him. I'm glad that he was able to, his reputation was able to survive getting punked by this box art. It's, uh... It- it's, it's so funny how, you know, we all grew up with Street Fighter, so to me, Street Fighter just makes sense. But, like, when you take a step back and look at it, you're like... No, this game's fucking crazy, isn't yeah. it? Like, and like, you know, they had to like, you know, they submitted it to some art maker, and he's like, okay, I, I played the game for ten minutes, I could probably crank something out of this. <laughs> like, this uh, this green guy, he's your star, right? <laughs> I remember, I think it was Seth Killian, like around Street Fighter Four, they were interviewing him um, and talking about like 
Hakan being added to the game. It's like, this is a really weird, bizarre character who like doesn't fit in with Street Fighter. He's like, <laughs> you do remember in Street Fighter 2, there's a green monkey man, right? right. Like, yeah, Street Fighter has never been super serious. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess maybe I, I didn't play the original Street Fighter. Maybe they tried serious at some point and then maybe they realized they needed a bit of Blanca, baby. So, <laughs> man, um, just uh, I love the love that art. I, you know, I, I feel like uh, they should bring uh, bring back this kind of art style for the box arts of things because I feel like Street Fighter Six is coming soon and they went with a really underwhelming art style I'm like I need characters drawn by whoever this artist was for all uh, all future Street Fighter boxes but anyway we've got two fantastic songs uh, speaking of characters that showed up in fucking uh, Super Smash Brothers we've got Ken's theme from composers Yoshihiro Sakaguchi and Yoko Shimomura and we've got Balrog's theme that's the United States Balrog the one that looks like Mike Tyson but he's he's not Mike Tyson he's not even Mike Bison he's Balrog in the US the boxer his stage you know the guy I'm talking about
feel like Balrog's theme may be a little underrated in the canon of like Street Fighter character themes. Yeah, I'm going to go on the radio tomorrow and make a whole Balrog's playlist. Think you must. Yeah. Just every version of Balrog's theme. Yeah, just search for Balrog, you know, Mega Q with a Balrog and, you know, deal with any any other games. I don't think we have any like Lord of the Rings in there, so I um, you know, doubt very much else is going to come up. But yeah, you know, cue up Balrog, Boxer, whoever, and just, you know, mm, enjoy those fucking tunes. Because, yeah, that's, uh, God, that's good shit. But that's not our final game of the segment. Because, you know, I felt like it would be too easy to do Street Fighter as the bonus beats. So I wanted to challenge us to listen to bonus beats from a game that I know none of us have played. If you have, I'm really happy about it. This is a game that maybe, uh, to a layman, Seems like it's Street Fighter. David, are you familiar with World Heroes? Is this the one that has Rasputin? I don't think so. Uh, okay. God, I hope it is. Yeah, well, because I, I, I remember there was some game that's like, uh, oh my God, it is the one with Rasputin. Okay, because this game is fucking weird. Um <laughs> I mean, you can play as Rasputin, but also, um, like, one of his victory poses is him doing the Marilyn Monroe, like, seven-year itch thing. Like, this game's strange. Okay, yeah, that that really is strange, because, yeah, I could swear this game was called World Heroes. I didn't realize you would be able to play as Rasputin. <laughs> like, he's a hero of somebody, I'm sure. Exactly. Somewhere somebody is, uh, you know, look as, <laughs> looks at Rasputin as a hero, I guess. If I can... Wow, yeah, no, I had no idea, uh, you know... I'm glad that you know that, because, yeah, I just knew it was, like, vaguely like Street Fighter, and it's uh, it's an arcade game made by fucking, like, a, I think it's an SNK joint. Uh, it's like a Neo Geo arcade game, and uh, no, I, I didn't bother looking to see that Rasputin was in this at all. Looks yeah, like, it's weird. now that I'm looking at the list, they got uh, some fucking, some icons from around the world. I think Joan of Arc is in this game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange, because it's not the actual characters except for Rasputin That's everybody dope. else is like non-copyright infringing versions because yes there's Jean d'Arc or Dark right. there's also Julius Karn who is a Mongolian like marauder who's obviously not Genghis Khan right <laughs> Genghis Khan's brother Julius <laughs> and then there's also just Dragon, a famous martial arts movie star that's clearly not Bruce Lee. Mm, yes. And what about this uh, this American pro wrestler, Muscle Power? <laughs> um, man, what a... God, well, what a fucking murderous row of characters they got here. <laughs> so, hold on, guys. I don't know if you understand how copyright and trademark works, but I think anyone can use can use Joan of Arc in anything they want. Like <laughs> the, uh, the Joan of Arc estate, famously litigious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah, and yeah, you really don't want to mess with Genghis Khan's family. They they come after you. <laughs> well, you don't want to mess with Genghis Khan's family because it's like one percent of the world population. Right, there's it's all that of us. too. We're all, we're all Genghis Khan's. We're family. all waiting on those Genghis Khan royalty checks, man. I'm pissed that we haven't seen one. <laughs> like, God, ever since they used him in fucking Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I've been waiting for fucking those Genghis Khan royalties to come rolling in. He's my fucking great 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 Asian granddad. <laughs> like, yeah. So they have real people in this. They have Hattori Hanzo. Right. 
Like, so why don't you have Gigas gone? <laughs> like, why did you chase that to Julius? The, the Hanzo estate needed the money. Yeah, <laughs> they accepted the money. The the Khan family didn't, so they had to go with, instead of Genghis Khan, Julius Karn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a fucking name change! <laughs> well, I would imagine that like Julius is kind of like Julius Caesar, world conqueror. But yeah, like as soon as it's a Mongolian like horde leader, yeah, that's that's Genghis Khan. Right. Yeah. And see, I, you know, if it were a like two faced situation or like a two headed thing where it's half Julius Caesar, half Genghis Khan. Now there's your fucking star, baby. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's play with that guy. But yeah, uh, these world heroes, very uh, very interesting game. More interesting than I even realized when I fucking uh, you know uh, selected this for the show. David, I'm so glad you just sent me the rest. Sputin doing the seven year itch, blowing his robe up thing. <laughs> God, that's that's a thing that happened. Ah, you know, I love it. I I was right to choose it as the bonus beats for this month. So we got three fantastic songs from World Heroes from the arcade, uh, from composers Hiro Hiroaki Shimizu, Hideki Yamamoto, and Yuka Kurosawa. We've got Fuma's theme. We've got Muscle Power's theme, and we've got Deathmatch Mode. And that's gonna do it for the 1992 segment. We'll see you guys in 2002.
Hell yeah, guys. We're here. It's July of 2002. David, where were you, man? Probably at home. <laughs> okay, word. <laughs> were you at home playing awesome new games on your PlayStation 2? Had you gotten one by then? I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. Hmm. I don't think so. No? You weren't playing awesome new PlayStation 2 exclusives uh, that are essentially uh, sick-ass 3D beat-em-ups um, using uh, characters from, like, uh, kind of Pacific Islander, Maori descent? Were you playing the Mark of Cry is what I'm trying to ask you? No, I definitely was not. God, it seems like it's right up your alley, David. You're you're big into, like, Pacific Islander culture. Uh, you know, you claim to be Maori, though we've never really been able to verify that. I would yeah. just like it on record. I have never once claimed that. <laughs> what, David, for a whole month, you invited me over to your house every day and had me try Spam and Pineapple Pizza. Mm -hmm. All right? It, like, you insisted. It was part of your... your Pacific Island culture. Right. And every time we visit, you always insist on doing the haka. You know, you got that big tribal tattoo that you've never shown on screen. Uh, you keep giving me a lay and being like, ah, ha, 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 you got laid when you came over. I, I, Again, love that I just want people to know this is a bit. I am not racist. I, yeah. I've never claimed any of these things. No, it's Johnny that's racist. He's somehow just doing Hawaiian culture instead of Maori. <laughs> He's doing nothing specific to the Maori. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So Johnny, then it's clearly you're the Maori expert here. <laughs> oh God, no. Yeah. So you get to talk to us about you know fucking Polynesian culture and its representation in video games, right? Uh, no, it's okay, John. Don't. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> We've made a mistake. I think that was the most Johnny uh, I've oh, ever heard. Oh, no. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. Um, but no, this uh, this game is uh, really something. I, I Obviously, I haven't played it, but it seems pretty cool. Like It, they, it seems like they weren't trying to do like a pastiche of... Uh, these cultures it seems like they were trying to somewhat respectfully you know uh use some of the elements of these cultures while also doing a somewhat cartoonish cartoonishly violent beat em up thing which is kind of fun so like you know you're just a guy fucking killing dudes with a sick ass pole weapon um and then the music is somewhat interesting it's one of the like first games to use uh like adaptive music that changes based on like what's going on in the game so it's not just you know, uh, the same thing over and over again. It, it kind of changes based on the flow of fights and things. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, that said, I've never played it. But it seemed very interesting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Where did this come from and go? Like, did no one want this? I guess it, it got a sequel. But then, you know, that was that, huh? Like, geez, I would like to uh, would like to see more possibly culturally sensitive beat-em-ups. From cultures that I don't fully understand, and clearly Johnny doesn't understand them either, and uh, with cool adaptive music, like everything about this game seems cool. So yeah, it's uh, it, since everything about it seems cool, it makes sense that it failed here in America and elsewhere. So uh, we've got two fantastic songs from the adaptive soundtrack of the Mark of Cry. I really hope that I'm able to uh, play something that captures something resembling the uh, the flow of the game's music uh, from composer Jack Wall, uh, who's actually a composer of some note. He composed for uh, like Mass Effect and Call of Duty and Splinter Cell and shit. Uh, we've got 
the, uh, oh crap, I'm going to sound like such an idiot trying to pronounce fucking Maori battle names. Uh, we've got the battle with Hiedoko and the battle with the Necromancer from The Mark of Cry. Phew. I don't know if there's necromancers in Maori culture, but I'm glad I was there for that.
it's a, it's a, it's kind of cool. I think they did a did a, some cool stuff with the soundtrack, doing the drums and what have you. And, you know, I'd be interested to play the game just to see how the music changes because they, you know, according to the developers, really like uh, synchronized it pretty uh, pretty tightly with the gameplay. So uh, I'd be interested to see that or see a sequel. Uh, you know, again, maybe uh, maybe do another sequel, PlayStation, whoever you are. Um, so guys, let's move on to a game that I definitely played, and I anticipate that. Johnny played it, and I anticipate that David's got memories of watching me play it. Not this specifically. This is, of course, the home console version of the arcade game that I fucking just, you know, held uh, held court with back in St. Augustine's CC's Pizza. Guys, Crazy Taxi 3 is out on the Xbox. Oh, wow. Yeah, guys. It's time to do some high rolling in uh, Crazy Taxi 3. Johnny, did you, uh, have you ever touched an Xbox? Oh, that's a um, I have, I have touched an original Xbox at some point in my life. I found the show Xbox. Me on, show me on the Xbox where Johnny touched you. <laughs> but I've played very few original Xbox games. Uh, most of my experience with the original Xbox is people who would like soft mod it, load it up with ROMs and shit. Oh, you yeah, know. of course. Yeah. Uh, Crazy Taxi 3. Yeah. So this one, this is one I missed, but it looks awesome. Mm hmm. I assume it has the same great soundtrack as the original Crazy Taxi. You would think that, wouldn't you? Like, you know, it's a mistake to put any new songs in the game because all anybody wants is the yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, no, they they put some new songs in it, which it, it, they're fine. I, I hate to spoil it, but no, there's no, there's not going to be any offspring in this segment. Um, yeah, sorry guys. Oh no, David, he's going to put on his offspring shirt just to really rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Crazy Taxi 3, it's, uh, it's kind of a blast. Uh, you, I, I assume that in the home console version, like in the arcade version, you get to play in three different settings. You got the small apple, you got the desert oasis thing, which is like Vegas and also driving in the desert. And then I think you could play in the original San Francisco pastiche or whatever the fuck that, uh, that first city was supposed to be in Crazy Taxi. David, you ever play, uh, you, you got a bunch of memories of three slash high roller? No. Um, you, you were correct. My memories of Crazy Taxi are about 98% watching you play Crazy Taxi. I understand. Um, so, yeah, we've got, um, two fantastic songs from the, uh, unusual licensed soundtrack of Crazy Taxi 3, um, by the group 13 Cats, we've got Jungle Man Robot Girl, and by Psychotic Youth, we've got Keeps You Running, which to my knowledge is not... A uh, cover of the Doobie Brothers song, but hey, I might be wrong. So let's uh, let's do some non-offspring Crazy Taxi music. <laughs> Yeah. 
podcast recorded live on videotapes Like Pam and Tommy's movie Blue Coming soon to a theatre near you Jungle Man and Robot Girl Victims of the modern world They kept the same vibe as uh, having a soundtrack exclusively comprised of Offspring and Bad Religion songs, but I guess didn't do the Offspring and Bad Religion songs. So, um, you know, uh, you know, good but not iconic, I guess. Johnny, I saw you nodding your head, man. I, don't act like you didn't like that. No, I was digging that first song a lot, yeah. <laughs> like a lot, a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, those thirteen cats. What a group. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you think that's thirteen literal cats, or is it more like uh, thirteen cats, like a like a hip cat playing music? You know, you, you think it's a figurative cat in this instance? 
I think it's I a little bit of both. It, I figure it's six hip cats and seven literal cats. Yes, exactly. Just mm, man. Uh, what a, uh, what a game. And guys, you know, I, I think I alluded to it at the beginning of this episode. This is not the most stacked episode of Game That Tune Gems, because we've already reached the end of the 2002 segment. There is not much going on in this segment. And we're going to end with something that, uh, you know, I, um, highly doubt either of you have played. Either out of just, you know, overlooking it or lack of interest. Because, David, I don't know if you have ever shown an interest in much anime. So, what is your involvement in Gundam Battle Assault 2 for the, I believe, PlayStation 1? <laughs> I'm sorry, this was uh, Assault 2? Assault 2, yes. Not not Gundam Battle Assault, but yes, it's the Gundam Battle okay. Assault 2 for the PS1. Um, I did not play... Um Gundam Battle Assault 2. You fool. Did you play the original Battle Assault? No. Shit. All right. So maybe I've, I've been making a mistake. Johnny, I know we call you Johnny Gunvolt sometimes. Now you're the toolbox, the five-tool player, John Regan. Were you also Johnny Gundam? Oh, yeah. I was all all, all, all into all the Gundams. <laughs> yeah? No further questions. Yeah, exactly. Assuming there are no follow-ups, yes, I was. <laughs> um... Now, uh, you know, this, uh, this actually, it looks like a pretty slick fucking fighting game. Like, it's a really nice looking, like, sprite art style of really sick looking Gundams. But they're so big and they take up so much of the screen. It's, it almost doesn't make sense to, like, I, I mean, I can't imagine this playing all that well, but it looks pretty great. If you like really great sprite art of Gundams, then, yeah, like, go look at this game. But, uh, man, it's. it's I can't. They're, I can't, I can't so believe this came out in 2002 <laughs> on the PlayStation 1. Yes, I, I've like, really been enjoying finding these incredibly late PlayStation 1 releases for these episodes of Gems. Like, it's, uh, it's baffling. They were still making things and releasing it on them. I'm kind of surprised that a PlayStation 1 game was sprite based because I feel like, especially for Gundams, like those big boxy graphics would be perfect for a mech game right but you know since this was a fighting game which also i feel like isn't conveyed well by the name battle assault i feel like gundam battle assault doesn't imply 2d fighting game <laughs> um but yeah for a for a fighting game and uh yeah the sprites look pretty fucking slick but yeah i, I agree they probably should have uh I see. That's the thing. That if this were the first Gundam battle and they were like having to put it out and sell people PlayStations, I'd say yeah, go polygonal. But then it's like, well, it's two thousand two, and we're still putting games out on the PlayStation two. Make or you know, on the PlayStation one, make really sick ass sprites. <laughs> like you know, nobody's you know nobody gives a fuck about this game. You know, we can, we got a blank check here, baby. We can do whatever we want. They don't want us to publish it on the PlayStation two. We don't need to update those polygons. Let's make really nice looking sprites. I I, I don't know. Like it's uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting game to even exist. I uh, I kind of want to just go check out like a video of it and watch these really sick ass sprites fight each other because I feel like again they're so big and they take up so much of the screen this game can't be all that much fun. <laughs> I, I just want to point this out too. I think this this is interesting that this came out in the U.S. before Japan. That's even more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like this was released in the U.S. in July, but it didn't come out in Japan until October. Goddamn! I don't get it. Maybe they huh. just since they were trying to ride that tsunami wave. And uh, man, put out a put out a Gundam battle fighting game 
in the United States as a test market? Uh, yeah, uh, it makes nothing about this game makes sense. Nothing about this segment makes sense. That's the beauty of it, baby. Uh, so yeah, we've got three fantastic songs from Gundam Battle Assault Two, the uh, the game that came out on the PlayStation One in two thousand two. Uh, from composer Hiroyuki Iwansuki. That's the second time we've seen them on the show, because this, uh, this is a Natsume joint. Uh, we've got the title music, and we've got background musics 5 and 6. And that's going to do it for 2002, and we'll see you in 2012.
Okay. Well, <laughs> I know we just got to the 2012 segment, but Johnny, you can't send me fun facts like that and not expect me to address them. <laughs> they misspelled Gundam when they released it. <laughs> <laughs> they did. The early, early copies of the game misspelled Gundam on the spine of the game's case. Oh, God. They really, uh, really had business releasing that game in 2002. <laughs> Like, people want this, right? Did you proofread the box? <laughs> oh, Gundam Dum Dums. You, uh, you guys shouldn't have fucking bothered, man. But I just uh, imagine somebody looked at it like, "Are you sure this is spelled right? Like it's pronounced Gundam. How would you spell it?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gun, Gundam, man. Let's fucking put the game out already. <laughs> so, um, man, we've made it to the 2012 segment, and it's another short one, and so I've decided to do a little extra on this segment and do triple bonus beats. That's right. Three songs for each of these games in the 2012 segment, because I don't think we have much to say about them. And I feel like they're all pretty great. So let's start with a game that if I were taking bets on which of you guys have played it, I would say Johnny has played it. I want to know Johnny, if you have put in any time with La. Mulana. No. Shit. Bet lost. Sorry, man. Yep. Okay. Well, game over for me. David, did you play La Mulana? <laughs> Which one was La Mulana? Uh, you are not Indiana Jones. You are a uh, whip-wielding adventurer exploring tombs. And uh, it's a platform exploration game. It was released on... Uh, PCs in Japan back in like 2006, but this was its official like remade, updated release in 2012. Okay. No, I did not play this. No, 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 because I didn't play this. I played a thousand and one spikes, which is also a game where you're a character who is not Indiana Jones, like exploring terrain and like ancient ruins and whatnot um Mm -hmm. i remember these games coming out around the same time and like i mix them up very very easily um no i i did not play la mulana it was on my list because it was a WiiWare game it was so this was the uh this was the version that ended up coming out on WiiWare, but it came out on uh computers just a couple of months before WiiWare. But uh, I think it got kind of big with the WiiWare crowd. You know, I'll say I'm surprised. I thought there were more games that we would be talking about on Game That Tune Gems from WiiWare. And we really haven't. It, it just hasn't come up. Uh, so uh, let's let's just call this a WiiWare joint, <laughs> even though we're a couple of months uh, ahead. Or maybe we'll revisit it once we get September. Um, but yeah, uh, these games seem uh, seems pretty cool. Just uh, super... I want to say it's like hard or maybe like the world's really big. I feel like there's something to this game where it's like, uh, like, I feel like they designed it to be intentionally difficult. And, um, yeah, that's like one of the guiding principles of this game. Like, yeah, we're going to make a really hard platform exploration game. And yeah, I uh, seem to remember this one being like balls hard. Right. Yeah. I'm seeing now actually it says, uh, yeah, if, if, if one were a real-life archaeologist, one might think twice before jumping into a dark pit. But in many video games, it's simply too easy to attempt the action, suffer the consequences, and reload. So, I guess they uh, they really wanted to, uh, you know, ratchet up the difficulty in this one. I don't know if that means permadeath or starting the game completely over or what. But uh, 
man, sounds uh, sounds like not the game for me like I thought. I don't like things that are really hard anymore. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I would have if I had played this uh, 10 years ago on the WiiWare. But uh, anyway, we got three fantastic songs from La Mulana and composer Nigoro. We've got Legendary Small Beauty, we've got King Kanda, and we've got Fearless Challenger. Thank you. 
Yeah, I gotta give it up, man. Mama Lana, it's got some bops. It's got a got an immense soundtrack for an immense and difficult game. I think we'll have to we'll have to give it a try at some point. Johnny, you uh, you try it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think there's a sequel now. I bet you it's I bet you they made it easier for the sequel. I bet Lama Lana Two is much easier. That's usually the lesson that these developers learn when they set out to make a really difficult game on purpose. They probably make it easier the next time around, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, probably. Yeah, makes sense. So moving on. David, pick up your 3DS, and let's play a rhythm game. What do you say, pal? Sure. It's a rhythm game based on a beloved series of RPGs from Square Enix. Oh, theater rhythm. Yes, it's theater rhythm. Is that how you pronounce that? I've never been clear on that. I don't know. Because it it reads kind of like theater rhythm. I I don't know. I always say theater <laughs> rhythm, so I thought it was teat rhythm. Yeah, theat rhythm. Um T heat rhythm. Final Fantasy. Uh yeah. Theater rhythm. David, you played it, huh? Uh no. Nope. <laughs> Johnny, you it's uh... a f- it's a Final Fantasy rhythm game. Do you honestly <laughs> think I played this? I mean no, but you know, Hey, who knows? <laughs> it was 10 years ago, David. Maybe uh, maybe you tried something. Uh, Johnny, you're the most recent 3DS owner of us. Uh, did you play uh, Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy? You're a fan of many of the things involved in this game. <laughs> I do like rhythm games, but my, my issue with this game was I, I didn't know where to plug in my Guitar Hero controller to this. So right. like, I wasn't able to really play it. Yeah, it's better if you enjoy it on a rock band drums for the 3DS. But uh, <laughs> you know, the, the gameplay just translates better to something percussive. Rather than uh, something strummed, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a Final Fantasy rhythm game in which I guess you tap the screen and it actually like plays out scenes of Final Fantasy games in front of you. Hence, theater slash rhythm. Like yeah, uh, I seem to remember that like it has the Final Fantasy battle thing where there's like a monster or boss on one side and then your characters on the other. And each one gets like their own rhythm line, so you have to tap along to do the battle. I guess. Right. It's interesting. Like I, I like to see Square trying something new, trying to package. Uh, I don't think this is going to bring in like any. This was ever meant to like bring in new players, but I think it's a nice treat for people that like Final Fantasy and want to see a little uh, fun twist on it. You know, kind of like when uh, I guess you know Kingdom Hearts didn't they recently do a fucking rhythm game that people were up in arms about <laughs> yes didn't they i feel like the melody of memory or something i don't know yeah um yeah but anyway i don't know i think it's uh i think it's fun yeah i think they made a bunch of cute uh character designs for this and you know if you want to tap along to fun versions of final fantasy music i think it's great i was gonna say i do really like the art style because it's almost like a paper mario version of final fantasy characters yeah. where they're all like chibi and adorable it is very cute, very sweet. So yeah, we got, and it's that's the other thing. It's a rhythm game based on Final Fantasy music. So if uh, you like Final Fantasy music, there's a good chance you're gonna like a lot of the music in this game because it's got a bunch of Final Fantasy music in it. And Final Fantasy music, I'm not prepared to say is all good, but I'd say by and large, it's a series that's somewhat famous for having good music. I, again, I don't want to be dropping hot takes here, fellas, but uh, you know they, they they make a good tune or two. 
So we've got three fantastic songs from Theater Rhythm, Final Fantasy. Uh, from composer Kingio Miyamoto, we've got The Sun Leth Waterscape from Final Fantasy XIII. From composer Tuotumo, uh, sorry, Sutomu Narita, we've got The High Wind Takes to the Skies from Final Fantasy VII. And from composer Hiroyuki Maruyama, we've got Clash at the Big Bridge from Final Fantasy V, because that's just the kind of thing I want to hear in a rhythm game. So let's... Uh, Let's just enjoy some Final Fantasy theater tunes.
you guys to think about how insane it is that they made a rhythm game level based around Clash at the Big Bridge from Final Fantasy V. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, can you imagine whatever the little things that are moving across a 3DS touchscreen to Clash at the Big Bridge? <laughs> like, it's uh, it sounds like a fucking nightmare, but a great nightmare. And that's the other thing. I think it's kind of great. You know, one might argue that maybe there's too much Final Fantasy music out there, but you, you got to give it up to them for being willing to not just compile music from previous games, but to do new versions of the songs. So I think it's pretty sweet. And speaking of things that I think are pretty sweet, uh, a series to close us out. Speaking of, I guess I did speak of this exact series in that last segment. Uh, speaking of Kingdom Hearts, guys, let's stay on the 3DS. And David, let's drop into a dream from a distance. Kingdom Hearts with three Ds, David, on the 3DS. Dream Drop Distance. Oh, that's the game. Right. Remember <laughs> Remember when we tried to talk about this on an episode of Game That Tune? <laughs> and uh, it was the 300th episode of the show, and it was like four hours into the show, and you and I were both blackout drunk and couldn't get a coherent point across. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus which, Christ. Which sounds very similar to the story structure of the Kingdom Hearts series. In a way, it was the most fitting homage to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two drunk American guys trying to explain an insane Japanese RPG. Oh, you mean Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> of course. I did appreciate this game because um, you it, it did that Kingdom Hearts thing where you revisited world from other games but had new worlds so like yeah. you went back to tron um i think you went back to beauty and the beast i don't remember but you got to go to the um notre dame from hunchback of notre dame mm -hmm. um you got to go to i forget what they called it but basically fantasia world um right. and you like interact with the hippos and alligators that are dancing um but my favorite was you go to the world of the three musketeers from that one like random animated Mickey mouse short where Donald Mickey and goofy are the three musketeers. Yep, you gotta love it. Um, I was like, that's, that's a deep pull and I respect it. Yeah. You know, I, I like it. Cause yeah, they tried to try to in introduce some new worlds, but also do like some revisits to the previous worlds from the games. And uh, yeah, the, the three musketeers is a kind of deep pull. And I'm really surprised after Kingdom Hearts 2 that they were like, hey, let's do another Tron level. Like anybody was asking for that. I guess it's more of a tie in to the Tron movie that was out around that time. But even so, it's still like, wait, are we doing Tron again? Okay. You know, <laughs> Disney flipped through that catalog and they're like, yeah, another Tron level. Why not? <laughs> like, should, should we do the black hole? Nah, just go to Tron again. Yeah, no, yeah, and more pirates. Definitely, people are still uh still loving those pirates of the Caribbean. You know, send them back there. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun game that I uh, I there was a time when I wanted to play it because it seems like a like a kind of fun twist on the Kingdom Hearts formula. You get to play as two characters and you can like switch back and forth at the, as them and uh, possibly like affect one another's stories by playing certain parts as certain guys, you know, Sora and Riku. Um, but I feel like my I, fandom of Kingdom Hearts might have passed. <laughs> I seem to remember also that this game introduced like 
it wasn't the drive system because those were the different systems. forms. The drop <laughs> system, yeah, where it was basically like parkour, like you could just run up walls and bounce off things to attack and everything. Oh yeah, no, that's uh, I think they called that shit like flow motion or something. Um, it, it, this did introduce like some you know some new things, but yeah, I think that was the most significant one because I know when I picked up Kingdom Hearts three, I'm like, why can I run on every single surface of this game? This doesn't feel right. Like. <laughs> Hold on, is does reality have no meaning in this game anymore? Why am I on a wall? Uh, yeah, I feel like I shouldn't be asking these things while playing a Kingdom Hearts game, but still, I I felt like it was a yeah one step too far. Johnny, you of course have so many things to say about Kingdom Hearts. Um, who's your favorite uh, favorite character from uh, from the Kingdom Hearts series? Oh, Goofy. Yeah, good call. He's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he serves what purpose on Sora's team? I don't have my soundboard up. I can't play game five. Ah. <laughs> it's okay, Johnny. He carries a shield. <laughs> you know, he's the he's the defensive guy. It makes sense for Goofy. Yeah, you know, Donald's magic. Goofy has uh, has a shield. Yeah, that's uh, that's all you need. Give Goofy a shield. Um, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot like that, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just yeah. Thank you. That's really what I wanted was to get the Goofy laugh out of you. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, we're closing out the show with three fantastic songs from Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. And uh, before we go, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much. It's been a fun episode of Gems. Johnny, David, thank you guys for making it. Um, and yeah, uh, hope you're enjoying uh, Game That Tune Gems on Patreon. If you're enjoying this and you're not on Patreon, then you should be. Uh, so go give us five bucks. Give us more than five bucks. Give us however many bucks you want. Uh, and enjoy some fantastic Patreon content like this, like our mixtapes, all of uh, all the fun stuff that we got at Patreon. Uh, we love you guys and appreciate you listening. And we're going home with three fantastic songs from Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance from composer Takeharu Ishimoto. We've got Keyblade Cycle. That's from the Tron level. We've got from composer Yoko Shimamura. Maybe you've heard of her. We've got All for One, the uh, part of the Three Musketeers level. And we're closing out with some boss music from Yoko Shimamura. The Eye of Darkness. Because, uh, you know, Kingdom Hearts, it tends to get a little dark. Towards the end, mostly. But uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening to Game That Tune Gems. Peace out, everybody. Mm-hmm.